Hey everybody, this is Nate Smoyer and you're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. This is the show where we sit down with the leaders in real estate and technology to find out what they're doing to transform the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. If you've got an interest in real estate and technology, stick around, you're in the right place. All right, we've got a great episode for you guys today. We have the CEO and co-founder of a company called Concrete. And it's not spelled like the way you think it is. It's C-O-N-C-R-E-I-T, kind of like REIT. And uh, I'm going to read to you directly from their website because I'm going to start from this perspective and then we'll go into what, what the episode's all about. It says, earn up to 50 times more than your savings account. Sit back, own buildings, get money. And I really like what they're doing. They're challenging the idea of, hey, some people put their money into a savings account and there's high yield savings accounts, but that's really not the best use of your money. And then you have real estate investment trusts and funds, but they're really reserved for people who can come in with a lot of money or have to be an accredited investor. And they're bridging the gap in between the two of those, giving access to people who want to invest, but you know maybe can't get into the good funds and have high liquidity, but reduced risk of the other funds. And I think it's a really cool blend of what they're trying to put together. They're they're very ambitious on this, making it a dollar minimum to get in on their fund and you don't have to be a credited investor. Now they're not yet up off the ground, but we talk a lot about what they have plans on doing and views on building wealth like the 1% do. So sit back. I think you're going to really like this one. Maybe grab a cup of coffee or if it's later in the evening, get yourself a glass of bourbon and enjoy the show. Well, hey, Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me so much. Yeah, I, uh, I appreciate you taking aside the time. Always glad to connect with those back on the Pacific Coast now that I'm here in the, the Midwest. Um, love to get the show started just the way we always do proper. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are, and what you do. Sure, I'm Sean Shea. I'm CEO and founder of a company called Concrete. Uh, we're a VC-backed commercial real estate uh, micro-investing application out uh, and headquartered in the Pacific Northwest, uh, specifically in Seattle. Uh, and we're focused on building a product that uh, kind of acts and feels like a savings account and really gives people uh, investment access into commercial real estate for as little as a dollar. All right. There is a ton we get to unpack in that. Um, a lot of different things uh, so before, before we go any further into all that, I want to I start right here because this is the high-level messaging I get when I go to the website. Uh, it says on the site, earn up to 50 times more than your savings account, sit back, own buildings, get money. What yeah. does that mean? Well, um, we're trying to make investing in commercial real estate extremely simple uh, and to kind of create a new experience around it. Um, so the earn up to 50x really speaks to what uh, our private real estate fund is uh, promoting as a, a preferred return. And so uh, for our investors that step in, um, we're giving them a 5% um, annualized return and we're trying to accrue that as well. And so it kind of works as like there's no real bottom where we're trying to work towards that. And so if, if we do hit a year where it's underperforming, we accrue that interest for you. So we're really trying to get you that 5% on an annual basis. Um, that's just the start. Like we'll also get into profit sharing and there's bonus programs that we're taking a look into as well as, as we kind of evolve the tech and the fund itself. Got it. So you're, this is a very liquid type fund. Yeah. We're, we're trying to make it extremely flexible. Um, there are a few things that we're doing on the technology layer. And then there are some things that we are working on on the legal side as well. 
uh, and the business side to make sure that we can give people the feeling of like they're really in control of their money. Um, for us, when we started, or I started investing in commercial real estate, I just realized how, um, how interesting it was that everything was just like, everyone viewed it from a lens of like, this is an illiquid asset. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you think about it, it really is. It's, it's a building. It's on the side of a street. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me as a digital native, as someone that kind of grew up with, you know, seeing just the evolution of the internet from dial up to, you know, then, you know, where we currently are with gig and wireless and, and everything, it just, it felt like that world had not evolved. And so um, after selling my last company, I kind of stepped in and was like, hey, I could you know, take a crack at this. I think there's uh, generally something large here uh, that I view as a problem, particularly around the access. And also my generation just doesn't seem that interested in commercial real estate. I think there are people that are focused in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's not your crypto. It's not, not the crazy high growth tech stocks. Um, but I feel like mm-hmm. it's something critical that, that everyone should really have in, inside of what generates them income long-term. I mean, commercial real estate, let's just be real. It's expensive. Yeah, it is. It, it's not even like, I mean, investing in real estate is one thing, you know, you're looking at minimum 20, 25% down into like a residential uh, investment property, but commercial, you know, it can start, you know, you, you're looking at 30% down. It's a 20 year amortization. The loan structures can be all kinds of crazy. There's a lot of cool things you can do with that, but it's still, you know, it also comes with a little bit of higher risk. You tend to have, you know, one tenant for one property. And if, what if it's not the right fit for the next tenant? You know, that's what's always scared me about a lot of commercial properties is like, I don't want to be that, you know, that place you've seen in your town, right? That one building that, why is there no one in that thing? When is a business going to move into it? So, you know, giving access to something that's backed by commercial property, but not actually being commercial property seems, seems pretty uh, reasonable, but it's, you, know, obvi- you know, it's so obvious looking at it now, but where did the idea come from? Like, when did you say like, man, people should just have access to commercial investments, you know, at a, a much lower entry point? Yeah, it, it came from an inspiration when I, I started um, investing into commercial real estate properties myself. And I was personally looking for cash flow. And so um, I'm, I'm a, an entrepreneur. And so, you know, there's times where I take significant risk in building businesses. And I was looking for ways to construct uh, different income streams for myself to support myself so I could feel like I could take the right type of gambles and make the right moves without feeling really constrained by just cash coming in in, in my life. So I started looking at buildings and I co-invested in a few with, uh, you know, my, my now uh, co-founder for concrete. Um, and we were, we were just talking about in terms of like, it would be great if the experience were different. We felt like as we went through a lot of these investments that it was really geared for this private room conversation. Here's a package. Let's take a look at it. Here's all the paperwork. Great. I'll get back to you next week. Um, yeah. And for us, like I mentioned, as digital is, we just felt like this isn't really part of our DNA. It just felt a little bit weird. Like we're like, okay, we're, we're getting to the boys club. Like that's interesting. But we just thought, God, it would be, you know, I had that, this, this moment where I was like, I would love for my friends and family to also be able to participate in this without having to be, you know, either an credit investor or then having to go and, and, and put your money in the public market on REITs and, and question, is my principal going to be there the next month or not? Uh-huh. 
Yeah, I mean, that's all that right there is the, the number one reason I have shied away from REITs. I've just not been convinced, I guess, that it's a safe spot to put my money. But uh, I'm sure there's plenty of other people who could argue uh, that, that it is. And it's a, it's a good way to do things if you're not trying to be an active real estate investor, but you believe in real estate. But I like what you're talking about. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like, you know, the whole process around investing in commercial real estate, it seems like a very antiquated process. It, it, it seems like if you're not in that club and if you weren't born before a certain year, you know, you're not likely to get into it. Yeah. And it's right now, we really feel like it's reserved for the 1%. Um, I think there's a component around this, which uh, there's also this bar of education. Um, mm. I've asked a lot of my friends and said, Hey, you know, why haven't you thought about commercial real estate? And they're like, Oh, it just feels super out of touch for like something I can't really reach. And I think that comes into play when it, when it comes to just having to understand the asset itself. So from an educational perspective, but not only that, but how do they get involved into it? Um, and I think, you know, I've been like my co-founder fortunate enough to exit one company where we're even able to step into a few private real estate funds. And, you know, the, the look that we give each other is like, Hey, you know what, this is actually a really nice experience from, um, setting up and getting just passive income and having a sort of a normalized expectation around what that looks like. We're like everyone yeah. should do this kind of builds a little bit of confidence around like, where are you getting money from to then allow you to do things that you want? And so I feel like our generation right now is, is very, very excited about, you know, side hustles, different income streams, like Airbnb yeah. took off because people were just like, okay, what additional resources that I have? Can I create some sort of income stream? Um, and we just felt compelled to build a company that would allow people to tap into this sort of idea uh, without having to be a millionaire. Yeah. I mean, you're totally right. Yeah. I mean, you had to get invited into the circle because you were able to grow one company, like grow a company and exit it. I mean, that just puts you at like, man, the percent of being able to even get to that point to be able to have the ability to get invited. I mean, that just puts you in such a small pool of people, but you're talking about opening this up to anybody. So, yeah. so walk me through here a little bit, like what might this be like, right? So I go to the website and I want to sign up like, uh, you know, cause right now it's still closed for, uh, the everyday consumer, correct? It's not yet it open. Is. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we have a, a private offering right now and that's really for credit investors to help us just beta test the software as we're, um, working with the SEC. So Full disclosure, we haven't actually gotten an approval yet for this. Um, the way that we're constructing the fund uh, looks quite similar to other companies like, you know, whether it's a, a Fundrise or Diversity Fund. Um, mm -hmm. What we differentiate is really around how we are trying to um, build tech to create a different experience and ultimately to provide flexibility long term. Um, you know, this is something that we feel like would be compelling to the specific like demographic that we're looking at. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we feel like there's, there's room for people to feel like they're a little bit in control of their money a bit more than having their money tied up for a long period of time. Uh, and that's where, you know, we, we are trying to figure out what are all the different avenues and what are things that we can do to, to, to create that. Um, there's a few components to around concrete that I think is just different than, you know, your fundrise or uh, like diversity or any of these other crowdfunding platforms, which is, you know, we're trying to make it a much more social experience as well. And um, we're hoping that people can learn uh, co about commercial real estate with each other and their friends uh, mm -hmm. and make it more fun, like gamify it a little bit, right? And get people more engaged into it as they're earning money. 
Hmm. Okay. I, I can dig that. And so I, I, there's a handful of things I want to talk about also even how your, your approach is working here, because of course I can't, but help look at things from, you know, through a marketer's lens and let's just talk about this. So, you know, the company is called concrete, but it's not spelled the way everyone else spells concrete. Yeah. Yeah. Even a, even a unique spelling to it. And that sounds, it's like almost like a play into like how you're educating people, even just in the brand name, whose idea was that? And, and I'll let you share, you know, for people who are listening and, and maybe have not heard of you and seen how it spells, like break it down, how it's spelled. And then uh, why you guys came up with that. Sure. Um, so I, I would, you know, I, I don't want to take all the credit because I think this was, this was really a, an emerging sort of topic with uh, me and the other co-founders as we were working on it. Um, and we, we finally landed on concrete, but we just felt like there was really good, um, there's really good sort of like ideas tucked into it. So first of all, concrete is one of the like base materials we use for the majority of construction today globally. Mm-hmm. Secondarily, there's the REIT terminology that's kind of tucked in the back end. Um, you know, it's, it's our intention to build our funds uh, to follow REIT standards uh, for tax purposes and tax advantages. Um, and then, you know, the, the T at the end of it was really multiple things. And we thought, you know, it's, it's all considered a real estate investment trust today. But what about the future, right? What does mm-hmm. that really hold? And so we don't really know where um, different types of technologies would kind of come in and, and change the financial markets. And so we kept it open to just really the idea of technology, but that could really look like a token or something like that. And so uh, we have been involved in, in a number of blockchain conversations around how that could work. Um, the fund as we, we launch it won't be uh, a token, but it's certainly technology that we're, you know, evaluating and, and considering like how does this actually fundamentally change how we might be able to operate our business and make this a much more tech forward business, uh, given that we are a startup company. Yeah. And I'll even comment like, you know, when you go to the site and when I look at everything, I'm reading through the site and the language, the positioning, uh, you know, and this is the kind of stuff I think a lot of founders could probably take away you know, uh, like some lessons here. I I think because I never even think twice about, um, like how would I use this thing immediately? I know right away that this is going to work on my phone. Like I, I see the, you know, the way you guys have it laid out, you know, you've got the mobile first image. So I'm immediately like, you don't have to even tell me like, do it from anywhere. You know, I see it right away. It's exemplified. Hey, it's going to be available where you're going to be able to manage this and see this and interact with this directly on your phone. Like even the little icons that you guys have built in with like the graduation hat, you know, that's the education port, like, you know, portion that you guys have specced out to go into the app. I really dig it because you're just immediately speaking to, you know, and I would probably lump myself in, I'm going to go ahead and make that assumption. I'd probably would be someone as like the audience that you would be trying to reach. Uh, yeah, totally. And, and so it immediately speaks to me. So I, I, I you know, I guess commending, <laughs> yeah, <thank laughs> kind of saying like, Hey, it's very clear. Like I get it right away when I'm on the site and seeing like, you're, you're coming for me. You want me to talk, to toss my money. And now you, you did bring up something and uh, I didn't actually have this planned um, on asking you this. So, uh, but you, 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 you sparked the idea. So we're going to have to run with it now. Um, okay. You mentioned blockchain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so blockchain is, is like the headline grabber or maybe it's not anymore. I don't know. Maybe 2020 is the year people stop saying blockchain because it sounds cliche, but um, the term is now distributed ledger technology. For okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
You keep it on the DL, right? Is that what they yeah, yeah, yeah. call it? Um, so anyway, letters into it. <laughs> so uh, I, I was going to ask that, like, you know, because you guys have a low minimum you're aiming to make this accessible. So talk me through like the minimum and then also like how that's possible that you can operate with such a low minimum. Because I imagine that's where blockchain comes in and being able to execute on this. Um, so I think the dollar minimum actually doesn't, well, I, I will say, I think from a business perspective, the way we view it is it doesn't really impact like what blockchain does or can do with it. Um, when, you know, when we were evaluating blockchain, it was really around like asset tokenization and, and security tokenization. And I know we're starting to hit terms that are just going to thrust us into blockchain la-la land here. Um, <laughs> but I'm just going to, I'm going to try to stay light and I'm not going to go in too deep. Um, but it was, it was more around like the future of like, how are securities like, you know, how do people consider like what a cap table looks like for ownership of a building? Um, and, and that's really where our minds were, you know, kind of immersed in, in thinking about that. Um, we have to this day uh, in our, in our beta kind of rebuilt a lot of what would typically be on the blockchain in the distributed ledger. Okay. And we built that internally as like capital accounting technology and sort of like, you know, what's maintaining the cap table. And we're doing that um, from both a cost perspective and also a modeling perspective around the problem. And so we made this intentional decision to not introduce, you know, whether it's a token or um, put it on the blockchain immediately. Because we felt like it would have been premature to do that without really understanding what's the problem set that we're dealing with. I think that's the one thing that I've, I've noticed, you know, especially in the blockchain space, is it's almost like people lead with... Um, the integration first, and then they're slowly releasing new software. And mm. it's not exactly a fun experience for a non-technical person that is just along for the ride of using mm. new tech. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you remember before we had iPhones, there was a whole slew of like pocket PC phones. Um, and, and, you know, the Symbian OS and, you know, there's all these, Oh things. yeah. I had, Oh man, I had one and it had like this, it was huge, but it had all these really cool integrations. I could turn on TVs. Yeah. I could. <laughs> Look, that was, that was the world. I mean, I just feel like this is, this is just how tech like reveals itself over time. Right. I mean, you're, you're literally like right. if you're on the fringe. You're, you're just going to strap into whatever you're like, rabbit antenna years are along with like you're plugging in your cat five on, you know, it's like, it just gets ridiculous. Um, and so we realized, okay, if we're really, if we're really about this mission of simplifying commercial real estate, why would we simplify commercial real estate for the everyday investor and then make it a lot harder for them on the technology side? Because mm -hmm. now you're forcing people to like, Hey, go download a wallet. Great. Here you go. Oh, we have no real protection and no recourse for you from a security's perspective in case you're one of the Like, you know. I, I did this post and I thought I was being hilarious when I did this. And I was so bummed that a lot of my Facebook friends didn't get it. Uh -huh. I, and it was maybe like a year and a half ago. So it was like that when that when that ramp up of all the Bitcoins and everything, everybody was like, you know, talking about you're missing out. This is the greatest opportunity of your lifetime kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, I did a post on Facebook of like, hey, which public, or, 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 where do you store all of your Bitcoins? What do you use to store all of your Bitcoins? And then I, I had a flurry of comments of people telling me exactly which app they were using and accounts they were using to trade their Bitcoin. I'm like, you're, 
you're just announcing to the world where you're putting yeah. all that stuff that what that someone could steal that. That's where. Yeah. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> this Get is my address. Storage. It's under this mattress in the <laughs> um, Exactly, yeah. but people did it, and you know what you're saying is like. I totally hear. I totally hear that aspect of like you shouldn't introduce the friction just because you want to use a certain technology. Yeah, it just. I felt like it was just going to be really unfair to our customers, right? Mm-hmm. It would have been. It would have been a decision we would have made as a business to then force them to be in a very specific workflow, which wouldn't even naturally bring that much benefit to them. Um, the argument is always, well, liquidity, liquidity, liquidity. Uh, when it comes to any sort of asset-backed token. Mm-hmm. And if you just step back for a second, you're like, well, how do you even introduce liquidity into anything? It's like, well, first and foremost, you need a market. You need mm-hmm. participants, enough participants in the market that understand the asset and they've agreed upon some sort of range of price that makes the transactions fluid. And there has to be demand on the other side. And so demand right. to me is not just issuing tokens. Demand to me is people actually understanding what they're buying into and wanting that and going, hey, this actually improves my life. Like, I'm not yeah. talking about, you know, the day traders, right? The day traders will always exist to kind of go like, I'm here for profit on the, the, the trade. Um, but the people that are generally, uh, genuinely investing uh, for the long term, like they find value in that. And so I'm, I'm a, an optimist and I'm a technologist. And, and, you know, don't get me wrong. I love you know, blockchain tech, I think it has phenomenal use cases. I think there's a huge future in front of it. I just think from a consumer standpoint, where we are when it comes down to an experience, like we already are struggling enough with security tokens as is, like Mm -hmm. pulling asset back tokens to represent your ownership right now without even having a true market for liquidity. It's like, I just don't see the value prop yet. Mm -hmm. Um, now I'm not saying it can't be done for like institution institutional transactions where you're you know you have a very well defined market. But again, we're talking about these are well defined participants in a market that understand what is happening on the trade and can do it on a fractional basis and feel like they're sophisticated enough to understand it. Mm-hmm. This isn't the general retail market, right? Like it's like I don't know. May, maybe 2021 is is a year when when things start to turn around. But we we as a business made a decision. It's just not the right time. And on top of that, if we're really, really uh, serious about creating this experience, well, let's focus. What is that experience? And so we said, well, what does an everyday investor really get? And like, well, they get their yeah. smartphones. They're on it. They're, they're doing mobile banking nowadays, right? Like digital natives, millennials, Gen Z. Um, they use it for a lot of the things that we used to go into brick and mortar places for. Uh, in in terms of like working with financial institutions. Um, And now when it comes down to ownership, I think there's this whole connectivity component, which makes a a mobile application so enticing for us where it's like, hey, let's be transparent around the investment, right? What can Mm -hmm. we do here? How do we keep people engaged? And I think that that is, from my experience, one of the the biggest things that I find wildly different about my experience with a commercial real estate investment versus anything where I'm investing into, you know, the public markets or uh, just something else where I'm getting a much more uh, up-to-date snapshot on on how the investment is going. That's so So, cool. Yeah, it's to me, you know, we're, we're, we're highly keyed in on the experience and what does that actually mean for the consumer market and how do we actually improve things and, and, and bring things instead of just being like a, you know, one to two evolution, like what's a zero to one experience that we can introduce? Mm-hmm. That's 
So good. So, so in, in thinking through all that, obviously like there's a ton in the experience that is core of your focus. And with that, I mean, having clarity of who your customer is. So, you know, if you're able to boil it down and I don't know if you guys have like a, you know, a, a persona, like a lot of people will come up with fun names for the personas and that kind of thing. But yeah. what, you know, describe to me who the ideal customer is. I mean, is it going to be literally everyone? Is it just everyone who's not accredited investor or is there like a certain range profile type that you think will hear the value in what you're offering and then, you know, be jumping in line to, to get it? Yeah. I, I would say for the first few years, we have a very specific target. And as much as I would like to say all retail investors, cause I think every entrepreneur would be like, everyone's our customer. Uh, <laughs> the reality is, you know, I think there's going to be a very specific group that finds value in the product that we're building. Mm-hmm. Um, if you take a look at a website, our marketing material is really geared towards, uh, you know, the people that we call the savers. Um, and this really includes, from my perspective, the millennials who don't understand investing, who are a little bit scared, the ones that are maybe just following along with putting money into their, their company 401k, but really have no idea what's happening behind the scenes. Mm. I can't tell you how many friends that I've actually spoken to where I've asked them, hey, are you investing in a 401k? Do you know what's, what's going on and everything? And their response is typically just, yeah, I give money to my company, they pull out of my paycheck, and that's where it goes. <laughs> right? And then you kind of, as someone who's like dug into investments a little bit, I just, you know, the, the cringe happens and you go, well, like, what, what sort of investments are you in? You know, like, let's, let's take a look at them. They're like, oh, it's fine. It's growing. And I'm like, you know, I've taken a look at what happened in 2018. I'm like, look, I'm sorry, man. Like you actually lost money. Um, it's growing because you keep putting more money in there. <laughs> you know, uh, and it's like, to me, that's not growth. Um, you know, and, and so having to kind of walk people through these ideas is, is a little bit painstaking for them. But uh, I think once you break yeah. it down, you start going, oh, okay, I'm getting what's going on here. So our, our focus right now is, is really finding the people that are, putting money in a savings account. And I just frankly don't think you should be doing that. Uh, yeah. At least put in a high yield savings account. But we're telling, you know, our, our product, we're really, really focused on like giving people a better product than a high yield savings account. Now I get it. It's, it's an investment. So, you know, we're focused a lot more on like SIPC insurance versus mm-hmm. uh, being a member of FDIC. Um, and it's just a slightly different space that we're in. But we, we view ourselves in that hybrid of the, the saver and the, the one that's stepping into an investment and that just wants to have, uh, you know, it's sort of a much more conservative component in their portfolio that's not yet willing to take uh, the, the dive into really figuring out what is their investment thesis from here on and into the future and it's appropriate for them for this kind of life. So, you know, we, we use the term a lot of times, it's, it's a hybrid, it's, you know, it's your, your save and invest account. Got it. Yeah. And, you know, for comparisons, you know, for people who are listening here, when we're talking high yield savings account, you're talking anything from, you know, and I'm pulling this directly from your site. So as it may be biased, I don't know, you you tell me, but it's 0.10% up to two and a half percent where you guys are targeting returns at a 5% annual yield or higher. So this is right. It's it's like a bottom, right? It's like it's yeah. kind of like we we are we are really pushing to always make sure like well, that five percent is is being uh, delivered, and yep. then there's a profit split on top of that, which you know it's it's hard to tell, but historically right now we've been turning it back uh, interest to investors, and we're about five and a half right now. 
Um, nice. and, and we hope that, you know, as we continue just adjusting and getting better in terms of what we're doing, that that, that mm-hmm. number is actually going to start to go up. Um, now, bear in mind, right, I think if you just view this from a pure investment perspective, uh, you can go, hey, I might be able to find better yields. But again, the question is really going to be how long do you want your money locked up for, right? And does that have meaning to you? Um, mm-hmm. we, we don't tell people don't go invest in, you know, things that are illiquid. I mean, in fact, I, I can't say with a good conscience. I personally invest in things that are liquid and alternative investments, but, uh, there's still a portion of, of what I'm doing on a daily basis where I really think about like, you know, the timing of money has meaning to me. And if that has a meaning to you, then, you know, there's definitely some considerations to make. Uh, you know, I, I think a, a healthy investment portfolio is definitely one where you're thinking about what can happen in all different sort of life scenarios where, you know, finances um, can, can really impact the outcome of those scenarios. I love it. Yeah. And I, I think, I think it's cool. So, I mean, let's just get enough people signed up, you know, get the legislation or whatever you got to do to with the regulations through so I can sign up, man. I'm, I'm ready yeah. for my savings account to switch over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Uh, that'd be awesome. There, there we go. Yeah. So obviously you've got some challenges ahead of you. Uh, what, yeah. do you, what do you yeah. see as some of the biggest challenges of being able to pull off such a service? Because, you know, even as we're talking about this, you know, uh, I have the fortunate advantage of seeing similar services and having gone through this. But, you know, like I was saying, you're kind of joking about regulations. Regulations aren't keeping up. And this is a little bit of a different category than what people may be searching for. So I, I foresee some challenges that you guys will have ahead of you in order to be able to get this up and off the ground. Yeah, I think one of the things that we, from a storytelling perspective, um, we we find challenging because we're almost creating this in-between idea mm-hmm. of like saving and investing. So there's not like one term where it's like, oh, great, we totally compete in the saving space. And then the other side of it is like, oh, great, we totally compete in the investment space. Um, and I, so, so I think it's one of those things where it's, it's making sure people understand how is this, you know, hybrid, how is this the in-between and when, and why does that have value? You know, personally, I think there's a lot of value, uh, you know, if, if we're, we're coming up on, on a recession in terms of keeping your, your money at bay and, you know, like in control of it and the same time getting better yields than what you would traditionally find at these, these older institutions, um, but again, I'm biased, right? Like I'm working, I'm working inside of concrete. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I also th- I think that, you know, another hurdle of ours and, and you know, I'm, I'm crossing fingers here and uh, hoping that everything goes well, uh, is really all of our work, um, with, uh, getting this approved from a regulatory perspective. Um, you know, like I said, I, you know, we've, we've really been focused on making sure that everything is going to be done, um, well, and that there's precedent for what we're pursuing. Um, but you never know, right? Like, I think when you're working with regulators, like they could look at one thing and just go, I don't think that's going to fly with us or whatever it might be. Um, so I, I think that there's a little bit of risk there too. Um, but yeah, I, I would say those are the two things that really kind of sit on the back of my mind. Everything else to me is, is business, like tech business as usual, which I guess if you use that term is always unusual. But <laughs> <laughs> right, it's, it's just one of those things like, I get it. Like we have to build a business and mm-hmm. at the same time we have to build a good investment vehicle. Uh, like we, we have fiduciary responsibility to make sure that we're taking care of our investors in a, a really specific way too. So there's that dual challenge that, that comes into play. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I can totally see that. I mean, obviously, you know, this is where like the, the branding, the positioning, the marketing language can go a long way and, you know, curbing some of that, that uh, the storytelling challenge to the consumer base. But then obviously you have some things that you're going to have to work with in all the regulation confines. I am curious. Uh, so because it's not, it's not truly a savings account, the, 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 the earnings. So if I were to um, have my money in with concrete in the end of the year, uh, realize the gains, pull the money out. Is that taxed? How is that taxed? What's the category? Yeah, we've, we've simplified it. So uh, it's, it's going to be done over a 1099 and it's treated like a dividend. Um, and, and just so we're clear too, um, there's a management fee on the product, but the 5% preferred return is what we're trying to get net of fees. Um, and so really I think when people evaluate oh, okay. fees, they're always thinking like, Oh, I have this. And then I have to clip that off the top and it's a haircut. Yeah. That's not how we're constructing our, our fee structure. Um, we're just so, being, it's a 1% fee, right? It's a 1% fee, which will change as the business you know, starts to kind of become more efficient over time. Right. Um, you know, that, that 1% is not really where, you know, concrete makes money. Uh, in fact, it, I don't even think it, from a startup perspective, you know, it, it, it just keeps the lights on. Um, mm -hmm. But I think what we're trying to do is really stay indexed on how do we bring our investors like that solid return that's going to be beating the rest of the market when it comes to, uh, con you know, conserve investments like this and to also maintain some of the dynamics that we have. And so um, there's some, you know, there's some fun, fun sort of back end real estate fund mechanics that we get to deal with. Um, but we're, we're also blessed. We have a fantastic investment advisory committee. Mm -hmm. um, you know, these are guys that are coming from the institutional side that believe in what we're doing uh, and they have phenomenal track records and, you know, we're, we're just learning so much from them and they're helping us just make sure that everything that's coming into the fund itself is, is being invested properly. And, and the deals that you're participating in, obviously they're commercial, but is there a specific type commercial that you're leveraging? I would say after? for the first year. Yeah. I think um, there's going to be a lot of focus around commercial real estate lending uh, along with oh. multifamily. And so as you know, I think a lot of, you know, startup companies go through different phases, but, you know, we'll see that ratio start to change a bit. Um, we're very interested in multifamily because we feel like it's very uh, recession resilient. It's uh, recession yeah. proof is probably not the right term because I, I don't know really if there's anything that's 100% recession proof. Um, Tap water. But, you know, you, we're, we're talking about getting into housing where workforce housing uh, is always going to be in demand uh, and, and particularly more so when you're dealing with a recession Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and some unfortunate events where, you know, people may have to go look for more temporary housing or, you know, they, they have to change jobs and move locations. And so um, we just feel like it's, it's really well poised in that particular, um, in, you know, point in time in, in, in financial world. Um, yeah. And then it's just got legs even long term as an investment, you know. Yeah. Let the, let, let's keep going down the, the route of investment here. I'm going to talk this and then we'll get on to uh, the bottom uh, segments of the show. My favorite part of the show. Um, you know, so I know you guys are still relatively new to the scene. 
so of course I did my due diligence. I went to Crunchbase to just see what Crunchbase would tell me about you guys. Okay. Um, I think Hopefully you guys are cool. things. <laughs> still, yeah. You're still too new for Crunchbase. Uh, but yeah. what I look for is I want to see like, Hey, did, have, have you raised any money? Um, and, or if you announced any, and so of course, you know, I got to ask, have you guys done any fundraising and, uh, are you planning on, uh, going the venture route? I think you mentioned at the top of the show, you guys are venture backed, but, um, have you announced that and kind of, what are your plans there? Cause it sounds, you know, you've been through this song and dance a little bit, so you're experiencing, you know, what's what, what you need to do to get to that next level. Yeah. So we, we are venture backed. Um, we closed around, uh, end of last January. And so we've been kind of just, you know, rushing towards building this, this company up. Um, and we, we, I mean, the round was about a million dollars and it was, it was a really pre-seed investment. And so we've been uh, pursuing building the application, getting through all the regulatory work, uh, and then hopefully getting to the point of releasing the application, uh, and, and really defining traction. we have about, uh, 4,100 people on the wait list. So we know that there's, there's some sort of market demand and it's, it's, uh, something that will probably continue growing. We have, um, enough participants in our beta right now too. Um, you know, that, that are giving us feedback around all the different features that we're, we're building out in preparation for the, the more retail oriented launch. Very cool. And I'm one of those 4,100. <laughs> oh, well, well, thank you. I mean, <laughs> pretty soon we're, you know, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers, you know, if once we get approved, we'll start pulling in and in, in groups uh, into the, into the service. We're, we're just trying to make sure like we're, we're streamlining this and, yeah. Uh, you know, we've, okay. we've had a lot of really fantastic waitlist participants. Uh, you know, they've, they've been kind of sharing it, getting other people to sign up with the referral codes. And so uh, we'll be pulling groups like, you know, chunk at a time. And um, each one, we're, we're going to kind of let it run for about a week, collect the feedback, make any mm-hmm. bug fixes, and, you know, just kind of slow it up until, up until the point where we feel really comfortable just opening up the gates. Um, yeah. You know, I think anyone that's built a tech company totally knows the value of like, what happens when you actually go through your initial launch and not just throwing people through like a crappy experience, you know, yep. just in favor of like getting revenue. It's, it's really not for, at least, I mean, there's so many different ways to start up a company, but uh, yeah. from, from like, you know, what we like to do is, is really just ensure that we're trying to provide the best experience that we possibly can. That's so good. I mean, it's smart. And obviously you guys know what you're doing. I think, I think we can see that, but um, uh, you, you got a big challenge ahead of you for sure. Uh, let's keep it rolling here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the future. We're kind of alluding to what's coming down the line with you guys. And so it's a natural segue into what I like to call for the future. This is where I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Sean, you ready to play? Yeah, I'm, let's do this. I'm ready to get into the future. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number one, what does concrete look like one year from now? Um, concrete looks like an actual company one year from now. Um, oh. I think at this point we will have, you know, uh, different teams uh, focus on different disciplines, growing the company a little, little bit less like, you know, the, the core founders with, you know, the, the super scrappy mode, like, we will hopefully be, you know, a company that's, that's churning and actually, you know, building like more features, gaining traction in the marketplace and, and mm-hmm. bringing a really solid saving investing experience to our customers. Very cool. Yeah. I feel like that's a pretty easy one though. I feel like most founders would say that right in our, in our stage. It's like, I hope we're around still. <laughs> 
everyone's got a different take on it, you know? Um, I've heard some pretty ambitious answers to that one. So I always like to, uh, you know, I'm only now a little bit past a year in on doing the show. So now I'm finally get to check back on people's predictions. Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, I don't think I would have been as, uh, bold to say I would love our logo, you know, on the side of CenturyLink field. (laughs) Dream big. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Well, maybe I'll throw that in the next time you ask that question. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Question number two, what's the housing market look like one year from now? Ooh, the housing market. Uh, There you go. Commercial or residential? I'll let you run with the definition that you think best applies to that question. Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to stick with commercial. And I think we're actually going to be still undersupplied in the majority of the metro markets. Um, mm. So I think there's still going to be a bit of a rat race, I think, for developers. Um, my, my thought right now is the softening of the markets and, and the sort of the crest that we saw over the last few quarters uh, is, is, has kind of created the floor. I think uh, developers are starting to look again. I think um, there's really funny things happening on the, the interest uh, rate side of the world. But I do think that, you know, people are, are really taking a hard look in terms of uh, making investments. And, and I hope that developments and, you know, value add projects start to kick off again because uh, it's, it's, you know, we're in dire need of it. I, I live in Seattle. So like I have a really funny lens on all this. I, I'm watching like one of the fastest growing cities in America kind of emerge. And it's been uh, crazy the last few years. It's been, yeah. there's no, there's no way like people read about Seattle's growth, but I mean, to have witnessed it, you know, I moved to the Northwest back in 2011. Uh-huh. So I, I've been following it every time I went to Seattle. I'm like, damn, there's another crane up there. Like this. Yeah. Absurd. It's insane. Yeah. And, um, I was super astonished because I realized that there was a lot of hotels being built in Seattle recently, uh, let alone, you know, just the skyscrapers and, and all the different, uh, you know, different new apartment complexes and things mm-hmm. are just getting eaten up like you know old homes getting picked up and parceled out for like you know it's just all this stuff is is pretty crazy i'm it's kind of fun like if you if you get an opportunity just come visit year by year right and you just gotta like drive around you're just like this is crazy just watch everything (laughs) every single year yeah totally Um, yeah very different city now than it was when i moved here uh, in the beginning of 2012, like I, I can't even describe it. I think I have friends that come visit me uh, and they're also like, what is going on? Like, I don't even remember this. And I'm like, yeah, you and me both. Like, I don't remember this either. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, all right. Question number three, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? Oh, this is a fun one. All right. Um, so I can't be the only one that's paying attention to like what's happening with SoftBank and WeWork. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen around the corner. And I think this impacts a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, I feel like, and I'm not entirely sure, but I feel like VC valuations uh, can still become sort of um, very much embellished. And... 
it's very hard to kind of quantify what is the right way to approach this, right? I think when you take a look at the public market, they just don't feel like these VC-backed companies that are these massive unicorns are really poised to then go public and be accepted by the mm-hmm. public. So I kind of feel like really what, what I'm saying is I wish the insane valuations would stop or like there would be a much more renewed focus around that transition of a private company to then becoming a public company and then you know, really providing a healthy path where there is a lot more, certainty is the wrong word, but I, I guess almost um, more, you know, I guess the, the markets being able to kind of accept these, these startup companies again, because I feel like it makes it really tough for, for tech companies to go like, yay, like this is, this is one of the ways to exit and this is the way that I want to exit uh, and to feel confident that that's actually a smart business move. Like, we just haven't had that many great IPOs this year. Um, we've been in this like haze of massive valuations. This is very sort of reminiscent of the dot-com um, burst, you know, back in the day. And um, I, you know, as an entrepreneur, it, it would just be a, a bummer to like be in, in all that, like in the midst of all that, right? Like I think there was a <laughs> lot of really phenomenal companies that are building great businesses that just gets sucked into, you know, a cycle and they never expected to. Yeah. I'm not trying to get sucked into a cycle. That's for sure. Uh, but I mean, everything has a correction. Um, you know, what yep. goes up must come down and that has yet to be proven false. Uh, we just, you know, you, you never quite know, but, um, I, I do like that take. I think there's a lot of different takes right now on the, the state of VC. If that's a, if that's a thing, if it's not a thing, it should be a thing. The state of VC. Uh, I mean, the state of VC is always a thing. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough to follow at times, but at the same time, you know, it's like you kind of have to, right? I think yeah. if you're going to, if you're going to see what's coming around the corner for the public markets, I mean, just take a look at the private sector and like, how are people valuing these companies? What's actually really disruptive? What's truly going to actually change market behaviors? So I think it's always a fun thing for me to watch. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm a futurist optimist technologist so i'm i'm always paying attention to this stuff. what one of my I'll, I'll 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 stop talking here in a minute but i'll uh, i'll say that uh, one of my favorite things recent guests said you know i had franco from prop moto on the show and we talked about um press releases and uh, prop moto stances you know if you send in a press release of how much money you raise and that's the point of your press release they don't run it and it's not because they're anti-funding news it was just, you know, hey, that's not the most interesting thing. Like, what are you doing with that money? And what you just said, like changing either consumer habits or access to or adding value. I mean, those are the interesting things uh, that that money ideally is what it's being aimed towards doing. And that's not always the case. So, um, cool. Yeah. All right. We, we beat that one up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Question number four of For the Future. What's one? One thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of technological advance? Great question. Um, oh, this is going to be so controversial. Um, say I, I don't want to say it. I'm just, I'm just going to say it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think brokers are, are, are really going to have the same job in the next five years. Um, I, I just see too much movement in, in terms of digital 
buying? What does it mean to list? Um, how are people even doing remote walkthroughs? People are buying homes sight unseen. Uh, you know, there's companies like Ribbon, Fly Homes, and, you know, it's just, it's turning into this crazy sort of like click a button, buy a home mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Um, people are almost more fearful around losing the, the deal than finding the right home. Uh, I think that is a, a byproduct of, of the market that we sit in. But like I mentioned earlier, I think we're still yes. going to be undersupplied because I just don't think that our construction tech is sophisticated and as efficient enough as we need it for to kind of maintain the growth in, in the cities that we live in, uh, at least here yep. in America. Um, and I think like a lot of these, these older industries that then have tech applied to it, the constructs and the market expectations just fundamentally began to shift. So when I made the statement, I don't think brokers are going to have the same job. I don't think brokers are going to disappear. Right. I think brokers uh, or, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I think the great ones are actually going to build fantastic legacy brands in the space. And I think the ones that are just stepping into it, um, you know, may not actually be able to make it because I think technology is going to come in and just take over what, what, you know, maybe the fruit that's fallen from the tree. Um, and so I think when I, when I, when I make that statement, brokers, you know, roles will change. I really do think like, you know, a broker in 2025 is going to look vastly different than what they're doing today from the day-to-day activity standpoint or how they're even going to show their home. I mean, I have hopes that like VRAR has implications into this, right? I, I have hopes that like people will be able to largely understand the financial component of this and have these deals simplified so that it doesn't feel like you're going through tax returns when you're looking at buying properties, whether it's commercial or residential. Um, just having, you know, the, like I said, I'm, I'm an experienced guy and, you know, future. So like, I, I love the idea of this, this like, okay, we're going to streamline all of this, right? And then in what world where something is so streamlined doesn't make sense to have a professional sitting aside, you know, sitting with you through that. Uh, and maybe it's more of a financial planning perspective than it is mm-hmm. around, uh, you know, hey, let's look at this transaction. Like, let's get this deal done, right? Um, I think it'd be great to have, to feel like you're in it with a little bit more of a partner rather than uh, someone who's, who's there motivated on, on closing the deal. I love it. And uh, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of vote of confidence. A lot of things you just said there have been echoed by other founders we've had on the show. So oh, uh, awesome. nothing too crazy confident, uh, you know, that it'll be, you know, all that big of a controversy, except uh, maybe amongst real estate agents who feel like you just said their jobs aren't important. So, um, <laughs> uh, but I, well, I I know you didn't just say that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was like, man, I mean, <laughs> it, let's, let's be, let's be honest. I mean, what, <laughs> What like industry hasn't received change over the last hundred years? IRS. (laughs) Well, Well, actually they had a new website come out like recently. So (laughs) they're Uh, still collecting taxes. I mean, no one's stopped. Maybe, maybe like, you know, (laughs) paper companies, right? Like it's like, well, there's only one way to really slice paper. Like, yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Uh, that's why I say when you say there's no industry susceptible change, I just say tap water. It's, it, there's no tap water. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right. Well, hey, we're going to move on to the last three so our listeners get to better know you. 
Uh, first one here is tell me what you're reading. I am about to start this book uh, and it's been recommended to me. Um, it's called Principles from Ray Dalio. Oh, yeah. Um, I, you know, kind of opened up the first few pages and I, I do this when I get a new book and I'm like really excited, right? It's kind of like scholastic book sales again from like your childhood and you're just like flipping through everything. Um, but I took a look at it and the content looks like super intriguing, like right up my alley in terms of like helping uh, to build a much more systematic approach to how I think about life and making decisions. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm geeked out and really excited to get into it. You know, if you like that, there's another one. Um, it's, I think it's called, uh, you might, you might enjoy this one, uh, algorithms to live by. Okay. Um, and very similar. Well, I shouldn't say similar. I haven't read principles yet. It, I, I think I mentioned to you, it's on my list to add mm-hmm. to my list of books to read. Yeah. I love um, that list. <laughs> it's you know, if you ever want to buy me anything for Christmas, just ask my Amazon list. Uh, but, um, yeah, algorithms will live by similar. It sounds similar, but uh, yeah, I will check it out. I mean, that just checks off so many boxes just with that that <laughs> title, right? Yeah. Um, all right. Question number two: Who are you learning from? Who am I learning from? Um, I love learning from uh, CEOs that I'm reading about in the news, uh, and, and I do this really weird thing where I like put myself in the shoes of, and then I'll fill in the blank. Um, so it could be like Bill Gates, for example, right? Like kind of what he's done with his own career, his company and over the years and how he thinks. And, um, I'm learning from watching how Warren Buffett invests his, uh, even, you know, his, his principles in terms of how he invests. Um, uh, this is probably a controversial one. I'm learning from Elon Musk and watching his decisions, but I, I love sort of just studying other CEOs in, in terms of how they think about, um, whether it's innovation or leading teams. Yeah or just inspiring people around them. And like, what does it mean to actually create an organization uh, that's really on a mission to get people behind it culturally um, to really go, yeah, like the, the, everyone's aligned and everyone's feeling really good about you know, working on that. Um, I spent a lot of time thinking about what that means uh, because I think there's just something magical if you're able to kind of construct that in a company, like the, the, the pure sort of like ability for people to get into flow and to feel uh, really yeah. Um, like they're getting so much value out of their, their day-to-day uh, work is really important for me as a leader. Like I want to make sure that I'm, I'm helping to cultivate that environment and to create uh, the feedback loops where people are like, hey, you know, like this is what we wanted. Like this is what I think. This is how I get more excited about stuff. And just for everyone to kind of go home and be like, yeah, that was, that was freaking awesome. That's very cool. Very cool. Uh, last one here the final wrap up the show, what inspires you? Um, so many things in life. Um, I'm kind of, I don't know if I'm, I'm the only one in, in this like <laughs> world that does this. I love going and just experiencing really random things and drawing inspiration from. I love it. The most like mundane things, right? Like I could be like taking a walk and just looking at the leaves and looking at like the patterns of like how it grows and, and getting lost in that thought. So I guess you could say like in a lot of ways nature, um, but I love watching how humans. That's very cool, right? And I, I, I think and I've had this conversation with a lot of my friends in terms of how I view, um, like I think about what makes the world tick, and I go, well, let's try to always build 
things back down into like human behavior and what is human nature and uh, taking a look at history and patterns. So um, being being very, very inspired in terms of what I'm looking to do from a work standpoint, just in terms of how humans interact with each other and, uh, you know, what I can observe when, uh, you know, I'm not actually like involved inside of the conversation or the experience itself, but just kind of there like flying the wall, like, oh, cool. Like, you know, this is how they're living life and this is like what they're trying to create in the future, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Hey, Sean, I really appreciate all your time. Uh, I, I love the answers you give. I mean, you just go so deep in everything and really appreciate that. You got a lot of thoughts about the whole space, personal finance, and even customer experience. I think you guys got, you, you've got like an edge over a lot of people because it's, like, it's very clear how much you think through on the customer experience side, not just how much money you can raise and and just the business side. So I appreciate you sharing and giving a glimpse into all that Um before we head out, I want to give everyone an opportunity. If they want to connect with you or learn more about Concrete, how do they do that? And where do they go? Definitely visit the website, concrete.com. So that's spelled C-O-N-C-R-E-I-T.com. And then if anyone would like to ask me any questions or talk to our team or anything, they can email me at sean at concrete.com. If you go to the website as well, there's a little chat bubble that'll just hit up the team. And we're, we're on that. We're on that, unfortunately, a lot. <laughs> um, so, you know, feel free to reach out to us. We're more than happy to answer questions around, you know, what it is we're building, um, how we're looking to construct things and just just answer, you know, general inquiries as well around like, you know, what are we trying to do next or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. And then of course, you know, if, if you, you know, you want to just get the links directly, I'll have them on the TechNest website and you can just go to the, the episode show notes and, and grab it all from there. Um, and uh, next time I'm in Seattle, which actually maybe, maybe uh, December would work out because Thanksgiving is going to be a pretty short trip for me, but uh, maybe we can, we, we'll get uh, some of the, all the other uh, real estate tech companies that are killing it in the Northwest. I'm telling you, if people aren't paying attention to the Northwest, they're missing out. Cause there's just some crazy good stuff coming out of the Northwest. Uh, maybe we'll get a lunch together, get some people together. Yeah, that would be amazing. I would love, yeah. to, love to do that. Very cool. We appreciate your time so much. Um, and uh, let's uh, keep in touch. Absolutely. Thank you so much again. Well, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to the TechNest podcast. Hey, don't forget you can get on the email list. So you never miss an upcoming episode. That's TechNest.io. That's T-E-C-H-N-E-S-T dot I-O. Get on the email list. Uh, go to the app store, whether you found us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you found us. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. And if you've got a guest or someone that you'd like to recommend, or if you think that you'd be a great guest on the show, hey, send me an email, nate at realteampanda.com. That's nate at realteampanda.com. See you guys later.